Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest talents. I'm your host, Alan Seals. Today we have Olivier Award-winning American stage, TV, and film actor, Andy Carl. Welcome on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so I guess uh, we can we can start with right now, you're, you're currently starring in uh, Pretty Woman the Musical, but I want to back up a little bit okay. and kind of get to your, your origins. Uh, so you moved to New York City at a very young age, right? Uh, yeah, very young, I would say. I was, I was 20, 19 going on 20. And I, you know, moved up uh, with all the hopes and dreams of uh, auditioning in New York City. Um, I had a friend who had already lived up here and uh, I just like slept on the couch for a little while and auditioned and, and started uh, ending up doing shows out of town, out of New York which is, you know, you look at Backstage Magazine, it's very nice now, the Backstage Magazines of today. Back then, they were just all paper. Now they're sort of like glossy magazine sort of covers and all that kind of stuff. I was on the cover of Backstage Magazine for Rocky, so it's, it was, it's nice now. It's all come full circle. Back bit. then, it was a little like you'd get the ink on your hands. So what, uh, what made you want to come to New York in the first place? Uh, well, I was pursuing musical theater, Pretty much, uh, I was I, I was I'm from Baltimore. Um, I come from a very uh, my mother plays organ for her church. There's always like music around, so she, I was always musically inclined that way. Um, studied some uh, studied music. Was you know found out that I could sing a little, and uh, I enjoyed theater. Uh, I started uh, doing theater in high school. Caught the bug there, started doing dinner theaters around town in Baltimore, ended up doing a Toby's Dinner Theater, which is in Columbia, Maryland, which is still a very prestigious dinner theater there. Uh, and it's eight shows a week. It's very much like the same schedule of a Broadway show, except uh, you can also wait tables and uh, make a few bucks. And then I was, uh, I think around 20, I was like, you know what? I just need to do it. I need to challenge myself and moved up here and... I, I'm going to say success happened because I got my first job right away, uh, being in the chorus of some show in Akron, Ohio, at another dinner theater. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> to me, that was pure success. Was um, that uh, your first equity role? Or? I was uh, I was doing non-equity. They would hire non-equity actors for the chorus of some shows, and then they would have like one or two principal actors who would be equity. And I, I'm not sure if that still happens. I'm sure it must. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> In, but I was cutting my teeth. I was I was getting uh, I was learning and watching you know these equity actors do their thing, and I was so uh, inspired by that. And I just kept me going, kept me involved, and I had this family of theater folk that I was becoming familiar with. And uh, but New York was a place where it's happening. And it's all very big when you're first moving here. It's very fast, and you just want to be involved. Now it's sort of like. I've done, I think, 13 Broadway shows now, and, and it's when I look back and think of that, it's kind of astounding um, that I can say that because I, re I still remember moving to New York my first day and looking at it with, uh, you know, newborn eyes. Right. So how, how, um, 
I guess how long did it take before you landed your first big role, and were you were you having to do that that struggling actors to uh, stereotypical thing where you were waiting tables in between or? Yeah, I mean, look, I, when I was in Baltimore, I would uh, I was working at Toby's Dinner Theater, which was about forty five minutes away from a drive away from my house in uh, where I was at my apartment in in downtown Baltimore, and parking was terrible and in right around where my apartment was. So I would actually sleep in my car in the parking lot of Toby's Dinner Theater every now and again because I'd have to come back for a matinee and I didn't feel like making the trek. Wow. Um, so for me, I'm like, work was work, man. I'm getting paid to, you know, jump around and sing and, you know, make people laugh, make people smile. Uh, and I was young enough and, you know, naive enough to be like, this is, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, so struggles, I ne- I didn't think of that as struggling back then. I was like, this is, I'm living the dream. I, it, sleeping in my car, you know, having Burger King. <laughs> and uh, I get to go into this theater every day and do what I love to do. Um, struggles to me were not about like, you know, oh, my, my next job, I don't know what it's going to be. It became... It, it's always just about negotiating all of that and making it, you know, what's the next step, make it happen, do it and, uh, see what happens. So then your, I guess what the, the big breakout role, would you call, uh, Kyle, the UPS guy in legally blonde? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I can start there. Uh, but I think before that was, um, it was, I think what really put me in the New York map was, uh, altar boys. It was right off Broadway, off Broadway show. And it was, you know, this great group of guys doing this, you know, faux Christian boy band, but the the lyrics were very funny. It was very, it was a hilarious show, and it required us to all be sort of like boy band, you know, members. And I was Luke, the sort of thuggish Christian <laughs> Christian uh, boy band member. Uh, it, so it became this sort of off Broadway hit. Um, and Jerry Mitchell saw me do it. And then he, he then the UPS role right. came right along. Wow. And, uh, then you did a long stint in, in Jersey boys off, off and on. You did a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was in Jersey boys, uh, but there, oh gosh, it, which was a great show by the way, uh, for an actor and anybody who's been in it, I think agrees that the script of, uh, Jersey boys is actually, it's it's meant to be well acted and it's and it's written very well. Rick Ellis wrote the uh, this the screenplay, I guess you'd call it for uh, for Jersey Boys. And it was my first time like sort of big role monologuing to the audience. Uh, and I was no I was number one right off the bat. I was Tommy DeVito coming out and giving this big speech about, you know, how we made it as Jersey Boys. And it was at first it was daunting because it's uh you have to get the audience to love you but it's it took it didn't take me any time to sort of wrap my head around it I was like this is tremendous this is a well-written script this is this is what acting is this is what ping-ponging with other actors on stage is this is about collaboration and about making people happy and you value those those scripts you get you you, you know this I look back on that on Jersey Boys is I'm very fond of it because uh because of the script and because of the role was so great and it was you know led me to be very confident in other roles that I went and did. Do you do you have a, a specific type of role that you that you particularly <clears throat> like to do or I guess maybe even something that you dislike doing? Uh that was I mean speaking of Jersey Boys there was 
Tommy DeVito is like on paper the bad guy. He's the guy who, you know, takes all the money that they've all made and he's been spending it in Las Vegas and and or betting on horses and they're ending up not but there's something uh very charming about Tommy uh and he's got a sense of humor. So I I really like guys you love to hate. I find I find those are a lot of fun. I've played many different roles but those are always fun because you can sort of you have to wink and smile and trick the audience into loving you, even though you're the bad guy. It's kind of like Phil Connors in Groundhog yeah. Day too. Yeah. That obviously uh, <laughs> we we want to hate him, and then you make it such a lovable guy that we want to that we wanted to hate. Um, and Groundhog Day, of course, you got the Olivier Award in uh, in London for that at the West End, and Tony nominations, Drama Desk nominations, Tony nominations also for Rocky the Musical and On the Twentieth Century. Um, when all this, all these nominations, all these awards started piling on, was there a? a <laughs> you, you, I'm, I'm blushing right now. <laughs> when they, I mean, they they did. They kind of all came, you know. It, uh, together, it seems a little bit in a certain point in your career, did things um, sort of take off for you in a different direction at that point or were roles? Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, I, I can't. Once you get the once you stick around long enough in New York, you start to know people and people start calling you up. I think, you know, if anybody wants to, like, stick around long enough, you go, oh, that guy who does that thing. I, I happen to be one of them. And then I was put into another spot, which gave me a little bit more notoriety and so, so on and so on. And I try not to suck at whatever I'm doing, which, you know, if you suck at it, then they don't want to talk to you. Um, so, yes, now, like, as far as Pretty Woman is concerned, um, Steve Kazee, who was in the run before me, couldn't do the Broadway run. Jerry Mitchell just picked up the phone and called me. We know each other. We've worked together. He trusts me with with roles. And I certainly don't want to let him down. So I came in and broke down the role as far as how I would do it and, and, and make it happen. People can trust you with a certain amount of work and see uh, how you, what you'll do with it. Um, so, yes, very fortunate enough to uh, now get phone calls for jobs. But, you know, I still have to audition. Like if I go to pilot season, I'm going to, you know, bust my butt auditioning for all these other roles that right. are on TV because it but I'm sure there are plenty of people who get just get phone calls in L.A. <laughs> I'll be one of them soon, hopefully. Yes. How do you approach uh, a, a script or a new role when something's handed to you? Um, yeah, that's that's it's you know, always different. I feel like with Pretty Woman, it was interesting because uh, I watched the movie. Obviously, I knew the movie very well, and then you know you see Richard Gere just doing a lot of looks to the camera and a lot of like it's it's mostly reactive stuff from him because Julia Roberts is doing this tremendous like, star turn in this movie, and it and her journey is right in front of you. Um, <clears throat> Richard Gere's uh, Edward Lewis's journey is not as uh, as forward thinking it's 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 about his thought process process is changing so how do you translate that onto theater um but how would i get into that role and how would i be that way and how would i be this rich guy this mogul who has to you know change and become a better human being and not feel like you know business is everything and corporate takeovers and that kind of stuff uh but initially i was like how am i gonna think of this role i need to put on a suit so me and uh 
and Greg Barnes went shopping for some Tom Ford suits. Oh, you actually went out and bought a suit? We all, like, because we, I knew uh, this was going to be a huge part of this role. Like, this guy has to look like a billionaire. Like, a, you know, he's got to walk in looking like a million bucks. And I've, and I've, you know, I think Ed Norton, uh, who's another Baltimore actor, he's, I remember an article with him. He's like, I never really fully get into a role until I'm in his shoes. And that's kind of where I was going with this. I was like, I need to put on this guy's you know, physique and, and, and his suits and all that kind of stuff. And it was sort of like an outward in um, moment because who would buy these, you know, five ten thousand $10,000 suits and these shoes and be particular about everything and also protect them and put them down in a certain way. And then it starts to feed your character. And like, why does he own all this stuff? Why is he after all these like high end things? Why does he like the best what's wrong with his childhood or what was good about his childhood that makes that makes him this type type of guy. So it really began with a suit this time. It was it was really a, and it was a fun way to look at it. That's interesting. So then how did you approach the uh, UPS guy? Uh, UP, yeah, UPS guy was like, you know, shorts, like put right. it on, give me the shorts. Yeah, Let's see what happens. Deliver packages to people. Yeah, no, it was, and it was all swag, and you know, uh, it was fun because Jerry Mitchell and I back then figured out like what the music would be as I enter, where would the box be. It was very like you know, taking a moment, but then you know, it's you got to have that swag and. It, translating that to other actors can be difficult sometimes. I think I know the people who took over, it's just a matter of like, how do I do what Andy Carl just did? I was like, I don't know. I just kind of like had my swag going on. You got to find your own swag. Mm -hmm. It's got to be there and it's got to make, you know, you got to know who that guy is just in an entrance. Does that, uh, does that translate, uh, I guess, uh, to, to the wider the wider industry of originating a role versus versus I guess stepping into somebody else's shoes when you come into to a role that's already in existence do you still approach it the same way or is it like when you're originating obviously you do something completely different it seems like I mean I guess there's a little bit of safety a safety net for like there's the nostalgia that we're working on here with, with the role that already exists out there in the world it so I know the mission of the type of person that needs to be there, but I get to at least cre create that guy internally and externally. So, but I still have the same objective as, as say the movie may have had. Um, of course, the journey within two and a half hours, if you, you know, tear a music, uh, a movie apart and put it back together as a musical, you have, a lot of things that are new that audiences haven't seen. So I have different subtexts that's going on, all sorts of stuff that I can, that make it completely different than, than the actual role that was on a movie, uh, like Phil Connors. Uh, it's like, I knew I needed to be a jerk. How, how do I find that within me? I'm not particularly a jerk, at least as far as I'm concerned, I'm, other, <laughs> other people may think I am, but, uh, it was, uh, what, what is that one thing about, me in my life that makes me that I can tap into that can just I will always be there at the top of the show can be a jerk and then you know scuff that off along the way of finding like you know this the spiritually uh, better person by the end of the show um, so it is my own journey to find out what that character is like but there is that sort of safety of you know people are, know what's happening with this show right. they know what's happening with this character they might have heard the soundtrack a million times. Yeah, or yeah. they've seen the movie a million times. So they're going to be, I guess, expecting a certain thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
Rocky was very different in that way where I felt like I, I can't go too far away from like the voice. I can't go too far away from like, I can't be like a skinny, you know, high pitched voice guy for Rocky. It's gotta be a low and slow. It's gotta be down here. It's gotta talk all these, all these things. He's gotta, but I lived there. I like walked my dog speaking this voice. I, I would talk to people in this voice and I would sort of get myself into that, uh, that just who that that person is into his shoes and into his voice and into his uh, body. So there's still a huge development of character you have to do with these roles, even though they're already out there in existence. Right. That's interesting. The, so uh, 1999, of course, Saturday Night Fever was your Broadway debut. And so you've been doing this for almost 20 years. Aside from uh, the magazines going from print to digital, uh, what are the, some of the other big things that have changed for you in the industry? <laughs> From print to digital. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, it is interesting. I mean, obviously, the I think it's still in flux. We're 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 talking about like we can now do huge digital, you know, screens on stage that are backdrops, and you know, is that good to use for certain shows? Is there not good to use? Do you want to be more analog with some shows? So the sets are getting really complicated. I've worked like Groundhog Day was extremely complicated, even though it didn't look that way on stage. But there's five different turning, rotating pieces on stage. And you'd have to step on one and they would rotate and it would be a clockwork. It was very complicated. I don't know why Matthew Warshus would ever want to undertake, you know, something that mathematical, but I think that's how his brain works. Um, so the technology is, is, is pretty astounding. Um, I also think that in my time of being on stage, and this may not be true, but it, musicals are self-aware now. They're, they sort of comment on themselves. Mm -hmm. They, uh, like Forbidden Broadway exists where it's, you can make a joke out of something that are, that is existent and that, but then you can, Forbidden Broadway can be its own show. It's commenting on show business. So I think now as you do shows, at least in my eye, there's a certain amount of like, I'm about to do this scene from Pretty Woman and it's commenting on the shopping scene and I've got, it's gotta be fun. It's gotta, cause we're commenting on a thing that already exists. So how do we make it fun for the audience? Because I, I sort of know what the audience is already thinking. So let's make it that way, that way. And then let's comment on it and make it even funnier. So, uh, there's something that may have happened within my 20 years in, uh, on stage is that we're able to comment on certain styles and certain things like that and make it funny or, you know, make us remember a certain style of musical. Um, so yeah, maybe that, that that's the big thing. Do you find that the, the new audience, the people who have never seen a show before, is that changing at all for you with like the recent rise, I guess, as recent as it is of, of social media, right? So you've got your Facebooks and Twitters where everyone can take their selfies and you have shows like Be More Chill that are coming to Broadway almost because the internet demanded it right. where otherwise it may not have had that opportunity. Yes. Um, this is a good question to ask my wife because she has a big opinion on this. Um, and and yes, it, it's it's just changed in the way of like, you know, the existence of the telephone now, we're able to look at our phones and have more immediate information given to us. Um, and I think 
producers are hip to that and they they want to use that. They want to they want it to be a part of their message and it makes and it reaches such a wide audience that way. Um, what's weird about theater or how that comes into contact with theater is that we're very immediate and we're, we're in front of you and we're portraying a show directly in front of you. So you have to be in the room and you're part of the show as opposed to being watching it on a two inch screen. So the way theater works is more like an inclusive event. And so, and then outside at the stage door, we're right there with fans. It's not like, uh, it's not like a movie you shoot, you know, you're a year ahead of time and then you go to Comic-Con, you sit behind a gate and you can, you have a structured thing. It's like every night we, we walk out and there's, there's fans of the show or people who really love the show. So, and it's good to hear feedback like that. And that's wonderful. But, you know, at, at the same time, it, it's really interesting because, and I'll, I'll give you an example, like uh, Ken Davenport, who produced Alter Boys, he... Uh, was very hip to social media, and this is this is like uh, it wasn't the early part, but it was it was really like theater and social media were were coming were starting to really get a nice bind, and he knew it, and so he formed a group of girls who were called Alter Holics, uh, and they were like fans. It was like it wasn't an existing; it was part of his own brain. Yeah, and so he got a group of girls together who would follow us to events that were around town. And that was cool. It was like, oh, this is exactly what a you know boy band needs. We need our fans, man. But then and then it became this thing of they these this group of girls, this group, certain group of girls felt ownership on the show and us. And it so became a like we had if if we didn't, if we weren't being nice to them, it was uh it was just, a, it was an interesting sort of uh, litmus test of what people think when, when they feel like they, they were the first and they were ownership of this. So it, it became, it became weird. It's like, so you, you girls are here every night and we're saying the same three sentences we always say to you after the show and like shaking your hands, taking another picture and doing that stuff. And it's like, it was perfectly innocent, but it was just, it became a little strange. It became a little too much like they know where we are at all times and they're going to be there at all times. And how are we, how are we going to deal with this? Okay, we'll wait till the show's over. Interesting. So it was sort of, uh, I guess, forced groupies. Did, did it, did it become, did it, I guess, did he accomplish what he was looking to do? And did he grow the social media yeah, presence I, of the show? It, it certainly became big enough to make us all you know, sort of hit the map really well. Um, and it's still like being played in Korea. Is it really? Yeah. It's like two different bands, two different boy bands, that a, a altar boys and B altar boy groups. And sometimes they like, it, but there's like 40 of them. It's very, it's, it's, it's its own thing over there. But, Is it in English? Uh, I don't think so, but uh, they, it, I'm sure like translating that with like, you know, boy band slang wasn't right. too fun. But who knows? Probably not. Um, so you got the Olivier Award. Obviously, did Groundhog stuff uh, in in London. Is London is the West End? Is that is that a different scene for an actor than the New York Broadway scene? Or, or, or is theater valued or viewed differently in either place? Uh, theater, uh, from what I was getting, and this just might be a guy who got there and sort of like 
oh, what is this new place called London that I've never worked at before? I felt like theater was being very respected, very honored there. Um, they do a lot of American musical theater, so there's a lot of actors with great American accents. It's kind of, that's kind of, that's like, I pondered that. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. They, they do a lot of American musical theater over here. Um, but speaking of social media, like I only did one interview the whole time I was over there um, for Groundhog Day. There was a speckling of people at the backstage and it was, it's not like a thing there. It's not like they're, they're not there to like get autographs or see, they're there to see great shows as far as, and, and fans of the show are fans of the show, but they don't, you know, there's not like a swarm of people at the stage door. And, and it was a huge hit there as for, for the short time that it ran, it was sold out completely and uh, Olivier award included. So uh, the scene I feel like is like a respect for the, what we're all seeing. And you see, certainly see that in the, in what they do on stage as well. There's, I've, I saw some tremendous theater there. And um, so I just felt more be, because it's, you know, the land of Shakespeare, you feel like this is where it all started. This is kind of the beginnings of, of pure uh, theater. And, and uh, so it just felt like that there. And when everybody was done after the show, it's like, okay, see you later. It's not like it's not Broadway's very sort of an inclusive. It's on an island. We're all like in each other's. We're raising a lot of money for like actors' funds, all that kind of stuff, which is great. But it's, I mean, I see the same people like weaving in and out all the time. It's really interesting. Yeah, this is a very small island for having eight million yeah. people on it. You the see West, the same. The West people. End's like you know, there's theaters are scattered everywhere. Yeah, so. yeah. So the, it's not uh, it's not a region. I mean, it is a region, I guess, within London, but it's all over the place. Not like centrally located like it is here. Yeah, I think yeah. I just think as far as like media and uh, the purpose of like pushing theater there it's getting to what america does but it, it wasn't as as like uh, media savvy when i went over there it's really interesting and it's like they it's it's it it it's theaters theaters for its own sake as opposed to theaters we gotta have the big new smash hit get it out there in like 30 second commercial and you know make make you know get the album out make sure it's all like it takes its time and you feel it like Groundhog Day. We took our time putting that show together and it was, uh, it ended up being beautiful and nuanced and every little aspect was looked at. It was, it was really kind of a, a great experience. So you got to be part of, it sounds like you were part of the creative process for Groundhog Day, putting it all together. Is that, is that normally how it works when you're originating a role? Obviously you were saying like when you're coming in, the show's already basically like script locked, right? So things yeah. don't change. Um, do you, do you like having that creative process? Does it yeah. translate into like the technical aspect too? Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I, I certainly, uh, I, I, I love suggesting something or come up with a really great joke or some, something that they go, Oh yeah, that would be funny. Like, uh, riding the bench at the end of the show of pretty woman with a horse on it was, you know, not in the out of town run when I saw it, I was like, actually, it was like, what if I just rode this, you know? So it became this like, oh, that's my, that's my moment that I shared in, in my three weeks of learning the show. Um, it, that's one big physical part, but being creative, it's, it's the best because it's sort of suited around you. They, they kind of find your strengths or they, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who's like, I can, I can juggle, I can do backflips and get whatever, whatever you need, what do you got? Cause I got a bag of tricks that I can, I can throw up here and, oh, it'd be really funny if we did that there. Or, uh, 
I just I like utilizing as many like little things as I possibly can to make it more entertaining and certainly more to what I do. What is your strangest hidden talent? I didn't know you could juggle or do backflips. <laughs> I stopped doing backflips after the the knee injury, but uh, the uh, yeah, I can juggle hidden talents. I don't know. It's like every now and again, it's just stupid stuff comes out. Low voices. Uh, it's it all depends. Do on you have a show. favorite impersonation? I mean, yeah, it, it, doing Rocky was kind of hilarious that I, you know, it was like this long, you know, nine month impersonation. <laughs> I feel like everybody tries to do that. You know, it's like, yeah, yo, uh. yeah it's, it's, it's funny because yeah. I didn't want to, I wanted to honor it with the sound, but I didn't want to make fun of it, which is that's, that's riding that line of like, yo, how do I make this, this voice sound like authentic to me? And to have emotion and love and thinking and, and have its own process. And so even now I can like just tap into it and, and it's it's really interesting. It, it wasn't just an impersonation. It was actually like an affect of my character. Yeah, that's amazing. And then uh, you met your wife doing shows. Yeah, yes. Orfe. Yes, I did. Um, and that you met her in Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Um, yeah, tell me about that story. Yeah. Uh, what? God, I, I saw the show before I got in it, you know, much like Pretty Woman now. Um, and I, it had, what was I doing? I had just gotten back from like the tour of Cats. I had been on the road with Cats or some, some sort of tour. Um, and I determined to like stay in New York. I'm, this is it. I'm going to spend my time here. Going to go to class. I'm going to go and audition for stuff that's here in town. I'm going to try to make that that next level. And I saw Saturday Night Fever and it was I was like, wow, this is amazing. The choreography was amazing. And then I saw Orfe come out and sing If I Can't Have You, which was like she does in Pretty Woman. One of the highlights of the show, you just sort of sit back in your seat like, wow, powerful. Um, so I was a fan first. And then uh, I auditioned for it, got it. Then somebody who knew me, knew her, started talking about us, uh, just like, you know, they're really great. And like within, I think, six months, we were dating and a month after that engaged and then a month after that married. Wow. <laughs> so, and now we're going on 18 years this yeah. January. So, uh, it, yeah, it's, it was sort of fast and furious, but, uh, you know... I, I don't know. She's like her own person and I'm my own person. And there's such respect, like still to this day, like I'm such a fan. I'm like this, it's, you know, I could sit back and watch her do her thing, you know, just like I was the first time I saw her. Um, and then I just got to know her as a really deep and genuine and sweet and very loyal person. So it was, uh, Came, it was an easy, easy choice for me. And I certainly, I think it, I married up. So <laughs> that's how I feel about it. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, your your eyes glowed in a way telling that story that you haven't, uh, that they didn't quite light up in any of the previous bit yeah, of this it's, podcast it's yet. It's personal. It's like, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, you, you, I don't want to, I don't want to div divvy it down to like it's a Broadway romance, but it was more like, it, it was like an exciting time to find each other. And then we end up doing more shows together. We're like, you know, we did this, we did Legally Blonde together. We did, we're doing Pretty Woman together as our third Broadway show. Um, 
we've done concert our own concerts together. Uh, we do, you know, we've done some stuff regionally. Love working together. It makes it much easier on the time at home. I mean, just as far as scheduling. Um, but it's it's like that that respect. And we're two actors, you know, trying to find work and all that kind of stuff. But at the at the end of the day, it's like we just go home and live our lives with our dogs, and you know that this is it. This is like this is the salad years. This is like this is great. <laughs> yeah. And you just look for moments where we can like you know, go on vacation together. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's like, and it's it's. It, I mean, I guess it is a a, a, prof, a professional marriage as well as a uh, a personal one, and. As I go into different roles and discover something new about myself, which I, which is really interesting, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm, or at least finding roles that are like epic and have huge arcs. And what do these people that, you know, I'm not Rocky, I'm not Phil Connors, I'm not Edward Lewis, but I have to discover them. I've discovered their journeys and why they went there and, and what's it like to like, you know, not have your father around or, you know, take over your father's business, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that helps me discover more things about myself, which in turn make me more aware of how lucky I am in this universe. And um, certainly with something like Groundhog Day, where at the end of the show, it's just like he's he's gone through this journey and he's lived this loop over and over again, which is much like an actor's life, especially on theater. We're just doing the same show over and over again. What's the point? And the point is just the people around you and the point is telling this telling great stories and bringing people towards you and and the point is being happy with yourself and that's when you discover I'm, I'm happy with my life I'm happy with my wife what what new things can I see every day that and it makes it, it makes it easier to understand life and in, in by, by doing being an actor, it's kind of interesting. It's all happened, especially in the last couple of years, been very much an eye-opening thing for me. So do you do you do specific things, um, I guess, on your on your your dark days or when you don't have shows in between work? Do you guys like uh, I guess you you personally, you know, Andy Carl, what do you do to to stay to stay grounded to to really, um, I guess, not burn out? Yeah, I mean that's 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 the thing. It's you know, as I as I get older, I get like more tired of being tired. Like, oh my God, it's eight shows a week, <laughs> and it's a like a one day off a week. What do I do with it? My voice is tired. My body's tired. I've been like working all week, trying making sure that I entertain as best I can. So it's like, I, you know, my Monday is filled with like not speaking <laughs> and maybe going and seeing a movie. Um, it's, it's pretty, uh, lame, but, uh, we went for a one day trip to Miami the other day. We like going down there. It's where we got married as well. And she, I was like, let's just do it. Let's give it a shot. Let's just go down for, you know, Sunday night to Tuesday afternoon. And we had the best time. And I realized that if you do something new and fun and, you know, we didn't even like, we slept like four hours the entire time. It was like, we had the energy to, you know, enjoy ourselves. So it all depends on like how tired we are each week. And like this week we have to do a, uh, we're singing some of the songs from the show on Monday with Brian Adams to promote the album and promote for the Grammys. And so that's going to be fun, but it's going to be exhausting. I'm like, we have to sing the whole show again after we just sang it you know, all week and then wow. go back and start the week again. So 
the the uh, Broadway theater life is it's taxing, especially if you're doing you know eight shows a week, and if you're like one of the leads and you know, arcing the story and telling it, and it's like I just need a little break. So um, it all depends on what I'm doing in order to give me energy to, to go do it. So Miami is great. <laughs> we'll we'll see if that works out again. Um, do you get do you get pumped up going out to the stage door and seeing the audience reactions, or is is that is that more of a of like all right, this is what I do now, or is it I'm looking forward to this every every show after every show? Uh, you know, it all depends on what show it is. It's this role is really interesting because um, after doing like Phil Connors, where it's like the show's all about me essentially. Uh, I'm doing you know every trick in the book that I have to show you that I'm telling the story and making sure that I. I'm, I have the arc and the journey and a, it's all, the whole thing is passed through the eyes of Phil Connors. This show is passed through the eyes of Vivian Ward. Her journey is, is relatively very important. And my job as Edward Lewis is in support of that and in finding my own little arc as well. Um, so it's, it's interesting dynamic to go to, to, and I, I'm not belittling. It's just like it's supporting role as to lead role. You want to people like what you've done, but like they're excited to see the woman who just had the big journey from, you know, being a prostitute to now having her own independent means. And she sang beautiful songs. Um, but I get all the love I possibly can from that. It's just it's it's a different like. A uh, visceral effect from people at the stage door. It's 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 fun. it's hilarious to me. I'm not. I'm. Not, it doesn't make me sad at all. It's like oh, it's like oh, of course no. Thank you so much. As opposed to people wanting to like oh my god, come here. We uh, that was an amazing story. That you that amazing journey. Now it's like I see that happening with Samantha. And I'm like because I know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. I, I completely understand it. But it was it's a uh, it's interesting litmus test again for me to like see this show as opposed to other shows um, right but it's it's always good to like go out there and have people really fall in love with the show and and we had a lot of people especially for pretty women who don't see a lot of theater it's a big title and they're coming in to you know if they're going to see a broadway show they want to see a, a big title musical like pretty woman and and I always liked that. Like, Rocky was a lot like that. Like, a lot of guys came to the, sh the show had never seen a Broadway show before. And they're all, you know, they wanted to see Rocky on Broadway. And so we had this whole different audience. Uh, that, yeah. Do you see, I guess that it would be like that. I was going to say, do you see a different type of audience per show? But I guess, yeah, with Alter Boys, you're going to get a completely different yeah. crowd than than your pretty woman. You know, who the the people who are our age now who uh, who grew up with the movie when they were younger. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, a lot of people are repeat offenders. They go see, you know, they see a lot of Broadway. Um, and then there's people who just never have seen a Broadway show before. And those are always fun because it's just like this is your first experience with theater and you could fall in love tonight with, mm -hmm. with the whole genre. And, and so that's that's important to me to make sure that, you know, first timers are have a good evening. And they're probably blown away. We couldn't we could have just done cartwheels online, and they'd be like, "I just saw this most amazing Broadway show about right. cartwheels." Because um, <laughs> I think like my first Broadway show that I saw, I saw some good ones. Like I saw Phantom, Phantom of the Opera. The high school were from Baltimore. We'd take a trip up to um, to New York to see a show. We always saw Phantom of the Opera. And it was like I remember like 
little smidgens of that evening, but it was mostly the experience of being in a in a theater setting, dark, the seats are cool, the, the stage lights up, and this beautiful moment happens. And I just remember it being a really cool moment. I don't, I'm not sure if it's like, if it was a terrible show, I'm sure if a young person seeing a show would be like, that was the most brilliant thing I've see, ever seen because it's a new experience. Yeah, you have no comparison at that yeah. point. But yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's very special. Like theater is, it takes you to this place where if you know everyone turns their cell phones off, obviously, hopefully you don't get a, a ring in the middle of a show to take you out of it. But um, it, it brings you to this, this focus where when you're watching TV, you've got other things going around. Mm. When you're walking around on the sidewalk, you're looking down at your phone or whatnot. And I, I, I love theater and I love, uh, I just love being in this moment where you have sometimes thousands of people, depending on the size of the, mm. the house, just mm -hmm. going on this journey together. It's beautiful. That's, that's a special part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're all in it together. Mm -hmm. So uh, just a couple questions here and then we'll, we'll close. But okay. a couple uh, things here. I just want to know, in general, what what motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? Uh, um, I, that's like that's that's the big question. I got to go all the way to the the end, the the beginning of uh, like what gets me going is like coffee is a big <laughs> one. That's what gets me going in the morning. Um, it's I, the fact that I get to do what I love to do. Um, especially as an actor, um, I used to be in awe of the, of the fact that I would go and be at this dinner theater back in Baltimore and I would be able to sing and jump around on stage and <laughs> entertain people. That really is important to me. Um, and I, I want to do it in all facets now, movies, TV. I've had the opportunity to do a couple of those things as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so of course, Sar yeah. Sergeant Mike Dodds on Law and Order yeah, SVU. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would get me up in the at four in the morning, with because you know TV is a very interesting uh, schedule. That's it's all scheduling. It's all like you're either getting up at four in the morning or you're getting up at you're going to work at six p.m. at night. And mm -hmm. So it's all very different. Um, yeah, but you know, but you're finding a new experience every night. What advice would you give to your younger self and or younger people listening now starting out on a similar path? Yeah, just don't. I want to say don't be so hard on yourself. Uh, I'm, I'm a Virgo. I'm a musician. I, I, become, I become obsessive compulsive in a lot of ways about what I do. Um, I've learned to let go of being so precise and being so hard on myself for being precise. Uh, and I'm now having a lot more fun with what I do. So being, being hard on yourself is a waste of time. I actually, my niece is, uh, becoming involved in theater and she's, I think 14 now and she's, she's studying hard. She's like going to dance class and she just got cast to be in legally blonde for a production of hers. And nice. So, she was so hard on herself about her dancing. And I used to be really hard on myself about my dancing because I wasn't, I wasn't technically trained until I started going to class. But um, I was like, look, it's just, it's, it can't be that hard on yourself. You have to get, because it's all going to go somewhere. Your journey is meant to be here in order to go to the next step. So that was, that's the big advice. Just take it easy, man. Yeah. So then last question, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, 
What show would you see? Uh, a, a theater show? Something in a theater? Anything. Yeah, I think uh, the thing that I – I listen to Tom, the Who's Tommy on loop for like a straight two years because I I loved it and for a year and I used to listen to the soundtrack and then I moved to New York and I got into a production of it and I would listen to this album every day before going on stage. So the Who's Tommy was a lot of fun. I guess I'd, I'd say that, but I'd probably get really sick of it now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you want to go ahead and, and plug yourself on on socials? On uh, socials, where am yeah. I at? Yeah. Uh, Andy underscore Carl. Uh, that's at Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then andycarl.com. Yeah, uh, Facebook.com slash the Andy Carl as well. Is that is that one of them? I, I found it. Some, somebody, yeah. yeah, somebody created something. How does somebody make it for you? Yeah. 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 Uh, Orfe is very good at social media. <laughs> she's the She's the man. Well, wonderful. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, for being you. on the podcast. Of course, uh, this is the theater podcast. We are at theater underscore podcast ourselves on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, a uh, big thank you to our friends Jukebox the Ghost for our lovely intro and outro music. Please uh, tell your friends about Andy. Tell your friends about Pretty Woman the Musical. Tell your friends about this podcast. Share and share and share. That's what social media is all about. So again, uh, thank you for listening and thank you, Andy Carl. Thank you. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.